0: Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. Welcome uh, to everyone. Uh, It's great to see you here. Uh, It's great to catch people online as well. Um, My name's Nick Van Ruth. I am the Acting Campus Pastor hopefully just for one more day, Uh, (laughs) vote pending. Um, Yeah, but I I really look forward to this and really look forward to this new season we're entering into as a church. And um, I'm sure everyone is keen to hear what's Uh, what's what's my perspective on different theological issues or what's my story how did I come to being where I am today and what's what's my sense of calling to being a pastor or what's my philosophy of ministry or philosophy of church what's the three-point vision for where this church is going to in the future and they're all important questions and we will come to all those different things but I felt as the, the, the first sermon uh, to, to bring to Allgate uh, as Campus Park, doing, acting or otherwise, I felt like we needed to come back to the core, to the basics, to the foundation of what it is that we're on about. Because if we get that right, you know, we could do everything else wrong and God can still work through his church. But if we get this wrong, we might do everything right, but we'll miss the point. And what I'm talking about is the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, that he came and he lived and he taught, that he died and was buried and rose again. And that, that, that's the content of the gospel, and we, we've got to get that clear. And We're going to talk about that and celebrate that over Easter and swing back to it again when we come to 1 Corinthians 15 later in the year. But I want to, what I want to talk about today is the impact of the gospel what's the impact of the gospel in in our lives in the church in you and in me and to do that uh, I thought it'd be good to turn to Ephesians 2 1 to 10 this is my favorite passage when it comes to explaining what the impact of the gospel is I'm sure if you've been around a church uh, you've you've come across this before and uh, and and it's it's my hope even that that, you know, there's going to be nothing new or outrageous or, or, or mind-blowing in today's sermon. It's, hopefully it's stuff, and I, know, and I know it's stuff we've heard before, but my hope is that we don't just hear it, but we embrace it. The gospel, what is the impact of the gospel? And so from Ephesians 2, it's, it's quite straightforward. We were dead, but God made us alive. We were dead. But God made us alive. That is the gospel. That's the story of the whole Bible. And that's what we're going to dive deep into today. So if you have a Bible, open up to Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read the NIV, it's going to be on the screen. And let's read this together. Paul uh, is, is writing this to the church in Ephesus. And he says, As for you, You were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live, or in which you used to walk, when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh or our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath." expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you've been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do, or for us to walk in. So that first part, we were dead. Paul says, as for you, you're dead in your transgressions and sins. What a way to start a sermon. It's bleak, it's grim, it's extreme. But it's true. The reality we need to grapple with and wrestle with, that without God, we're dead. Paul says we're dead in our transgressions, our sins. Our transgressions, are." A disobeying his law, his way, our sins, are, a failure of meeting up to his standard, his purpose. Paul says it's, it's that which we used to walk in and used to live. The, the word is used, walk. We were on a path, not with God, not to the God of life and love, but away from him. To seek our own desires, seek our own needs. We Walking on the wrong path. And to walk on a path that's away from the God of life, it leads to death, to separation from God. That's where we were. And unfortunately, it gets worse from there in Paul's description. He talks about the, the three enemies of God. He says, uh, in which you used to live or walk when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of air. Er- the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. First, we followed the ways of this world—the world, the the culture, society, the corporate um, identity of the world—that of people who have rejected God, their Creator, and gone down the path away from Him. The world that says we don't—you don't need to worry about all this sin stuff. It doesn't matter. Just be who you are. It's okay. Don't, don't worry about any of that. They try to convince us that we're okay, that we can do it. Just believe in yourself. You be you. We've been caught up in the ways of the world, the world that's against God, going down that path away from the God of life. We've been following, we were following the, the ruler of the kingdom of the air. You might hear that and think, oh, there's a good character, but no, the ruler of the kingdom of the air. What Paul is talking about is about the devil about Satan the king of lies who the spirit he says who's at work in the in the children of disobedience and those who are disobedient the spirit the, the evil spirit who is feeding us lies lies about who God is lies about who we are lies about the world lies about our condition under God lies about what is right and what is wrong lies about how we might be saved, or lies about our value and purpose. We've bought into it. We've been following that that ruler. And then Paul says, "All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature." If you have an old NIV, it says uh, "our sinful nature," following its desires and thoughts. Other translations say "flesh," and and I've got a little little bit of uh, a niggle with um, the translation sinful nature because I get what they're saying, but it kind of gives us plausible de- deniability when it comes to sin because what's causing me to sin is this small part of me over here that's, that's my sinful nature, and, and that's what's causing me to sin. That's the problem with me, whereas I'm over here and I, you know, I'm just encumbered by this sinful nature. But That's not what Paul's describing. That's not what Paul's talking about. The word he uses is literally flesh. Now, what part of your body isn't covered by flesh? What Paul is saying is that that we ourselves are on the path away from God. We are, apart from Jesus, enemies of God. We are following, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, Paul says, we are by nature objects of wrath. We deserve God's judgment. If the path that we're on is away from the God of life, God's judgment is handing us over to that, separating us from himself, allowing us to go down that path to death and judgment. Now I realize this is this is heavy, this is significant. Great way to kick off a ministry. But we need to be honest and real and understand our position without God. If we're to understand grace and what God has done for us, we need to realize where we were, to understand where we now are. We were in a grave, we were in a pit we were like a jar that's been broken and dirtied and scattered and rejected. There's, there's no way we can save ourselves. That's who we are. But God. But God. This is the big story of the Bible. We were dead, but God. God didn't just leave us there, leave us to our brokenness and our corruption and our sinfulness and our over, giving ourselves over to judgment, but God did something about it. Even while we were dead, verse 4, and because of his great love for us, God, who's rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even, even though we were dead in our transgressions. Paul is emphasizing this. We were so helpless and powerless and hopeless. But in spite of all that, in spite of being enemies of God, his love overcame our sin and our rejection. And he's done something about it. A corpse can't heal itself. A broken jar can't fix itself. And Paul can't stress this enough that we can't save ourselves. Later on, 2 verse 8, he says, It's by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. This is not from yourselves. You haven't figured out the secret formula in order to be saved. You haven't figured out this, the prayer you need to pray or the, the things you need to say or the, the right doctrine to believe you. haven't figured out that, you know, the, the way to, to pick yourself up and clean yourself off and put yourself together to get yourself into a standard that's worthy to be saved. You haven't done any of that. It's by grace we've been saved. It's through faith, which is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. God is the one who's pulled us out of that pit. God is the one who puts us back together. And we need him. We need God. And so we can't boast about being Christian or having, having faith because it doesn't, that doesn't make us any better than anyone else. We're not the ones who's figured it out and therefore superior than you know, Christians outside the church. No, no, no. We are all broken. We are all deserving of wrath. And apart from God, we are all dead. So we don't boast. We don't need to despair. Worrying about not being able to save ourselves and can I do enough? Can I pray enough? Can I do enough to be saved? But it's okay because it's not up to us. It's not up to us to, to live up to a certain standard in order to be worthy of God's salvation. He's given us His salvation. He's given us His grace. He's given us faith in His Son. We don't need to despair. We don't need to resist His gift. Thinking that we're not good enough. We're not worthy of God's gift of faith and grace. Well, do you know what? We're not. We're not worthy. And that's the whole point of grace. Grace that God gives us what we're not worthy of, and he saves us from the wrath that we deserve. That is grace. Being saved from ourselves. So we were dead, but God, what, what did he do? He made us alive. He made us alive. What we see in this the, the rest of this passage is Paul is describing gospel transformation, the change that comes from the work of God in the lives of the Christian. And as I've been looking over this passage over the last week, I've just been blown away and noticing so many contrasts, all these changes and transformations that happen. The first is we were dead, but God made us alive. We were dead and a corpse can't do anything, but God didn't leave us there. He's made us alive. I was talking with someone earlier this week and, and talking about the jar analogy of, you know, we're, we're like a jar, broken, dirty, d- discarded. And one of the things he said to me was the, the, the reality of the gospel is we are forgiven and cleansed from our sin. And that's so important and so powerful and profound that God would forgive us our sins. But that's not all of it. It's like this jar, it's dirty. Not only has, has God cleaned the jar... So it's no longer dirty, but he's put it back together. He's restored it. He's remade it. He's taken what was broken and made it whole. He's taken what's dead and made it alive. We're given life. And that's why the resurrection is so important. Why Easter Sunday, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Because in Ephesians 1, Paul talks about the power of the Spirit that was in Jesus, that raised Jesus from the dead. That same Spirit, that same power is in all who believe in him resurrecting us, that have have resurrected, we've been given new life, that is in the process of resurrecting us, transforming us, and will resurrect us, resurrect us once and for all when Jesus returned, we give new bodies, new life, eternal life, eternal bodies. It's the power of the resurrection. That's what we're going to be talking about Easter Sunday. I've got to save some of it for then. The next contrast I notice is, we deserve judgment, but we're given salvation. We're deserving of judgment. We're, we're on the wrong path. We've, we're enemies of God, yet it's by grace we are saved. We're saved, given salvation, saved from the path that we're on, saved from, the, from ourselves, saved from the world and from the devil, saved from the judgment. The other contrast, we're deserving of wrath. We deserve wrath, but what does God show us? the incomparable riches of his grace. We deserve judgment and wrath, but that's not what God gives us. What he shows us is the incomparable riches of his grace through his, shown to us through his kindness. He, He's kind to us. He's gracious to us in ways that we cannot even imagine. His love for us, his grace for us, who we are, his value of us is beyond what we can think of or imagine. Grace is being saved from the judgment we deserved and being shown kindness that we don't deserve. And that is what God has done for us. The next uh, contrast that I I noticed was before we were following the ways of this world and following the ruler of the kingdom of this air to now having a seat at God's table. Verse 6, And God raised us up with Christ raise us up, but didn't stop there. And he seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So God raised us from the dead and then seated us with Christ in the heavenly realms. And the first image that came to my mind is is like is family dinner. Sitting in God's family, being part of his inner fold, being part of his family and the love. And that's true. But as I kept on thinking about it, I kept on thinking about it in context in the this the 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 first century. What they would have been thinking? He's seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, in that throne room of God. This is talking about God as King, Jesus as King, and so the table he's he's bringing us onto is is the King's table, is the ruler's table. So that made me think of King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table, and what kind of seat and what kind of position did they have? They had. A position of purpose. They were brought onto the table. They were a knight. They were a soldier. They were. They were. They had purpose. The king's agenda. They, that, that's what they gave their lives to. They had a position of power, of authority, as being in, in the king's inner circle. They had a position of friendship, of intimacy. This is his inner circle, is his main people, his, his closest group, the, the fiery core of the kingdom. That's the kind of position that God has brought us into, seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, a position of purpose, of power, of friendship. The other contrast we see is, from walking in our transgressions and sins, walking on that path, to being recreated, God's workmanship to walk in the good works that God has created us to do. In verse 10, uh, for we are God's workmanship, creating Christ Jesus to do good work, works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Like literally it says for us to walk in. It's that that, that throwback to verse 1 where we're walking In sin and transgression. Now, God has given us another path, another purpose, another means by which we live, we walk. And that's the good works that He's prepared for us. Works that bring peace and goodness and justice and mercy to the world. Good works that we might live according to God's purpose, walk along His path into what He has in store for us. That's the work of grace giving us graciously what we don't deserve, saving us from ourselves, and bringing us to a place on God's table, a place in his kingdom of purpose, of value. That grace isn't cheap. It cost Jesus his life. We think of this, this jar that what we were, broken, dirty, discarded. But God has picked us up. We've been cleaned, forgiven. We've been put back together. He's restored our lives and given us new life. But not only that, he's taken this jar and he's brought it back into the house, into the, put on the mantelpiece, straight to the pool room, if you know the castle reference, right? Straight to the position of, of pleasure and prominence. So no longer... Are we discarded in the dirt and of, of no value? Now, no, we are God's treasured possession, his, his handiwork that, that he, he puts up so that we might stand and declare and to live out our purpose of bringing our maker glory. The gospel is truth about Jesus. It's not just information to believe. It's a reality to behold, a reality to embrace. I believe if we, if we embrace the gospel, embrace the truth of Jesus and what he's done, then we should expect to see transformation, transformation, changed lives. As we, as we were honest with our sin and our brokenness, and we're real about our inability to do anything about that, our dependence on God and his work and stepping into that place that he has for us. Now, I know not all of us have a death to life transformational testimony. Like you might read about people like Nikki Cruz or uh, John Noon, you know, ex-slave driver who's embraced by the gospel and becomes, you know, a hymn writer and all that kind of thing. Not all of us have that kind of transformational story. But we all are transformed by the gospel. We all have parts in our lives that need the gospel to come in and transform us. Conflicts we might be facing. Selfishness and and this this desire to to get our way over others or a desire for the world's approval or to, to be popular and liked at whatever cost. A tendency to manipulate and scheme and walk over others to get what we want first. Anger and resentment towards people we disagree with, or even our friends, even our family. Addictions to alcohol, porn, violence, escaping reality. Areas of our lives where we're buying into and believing the lies of the devil. Lies about ourselves. Lies about God. Lies about other people. Areas where we are being drawn into the ways of this world. We need transformation. Transformation. And these things need transformation. I believe that if we embrace the gospel, embrace the truth of Jesus and what he's done, we will see transformation. We will see transformed lives. Relationships restored. Brokenness healed. Sin forgiven. Addictions freed from. We'll see transformation. And we have been seeing it. We have been seeing it in this church, in his community. I'm sure all of us have stories of of where we have been transformed by the work of the gospel, the work of the Spirit making reality in us what Jesus has done in our lives. And all of us need more of it, more transformation. And I believe the only way that we will see that is if we embrace the gospel. Being real about our sin and our brokenness. Something that, you know, the world doesn't like talking about. I don't think any of us really like talking about it. But being real and honest about that. About being real and honest about our inability to save ourselves and our dependence on God. Using the space in the back to pray. Bringing our brokenness and our sin and our guilt and our shame Before God to bring it to the only one who can save us and stepping into the new life God has for us, stepping into the good works he's prepared for us to walk into. If we do that, we will see transformation. As God takes us from being enemies of God to having a seat at his table. And I think it's really significant that we're finishing this sermon with communion. I didn't plan to have communion to end this, except the fact that this is the first Sunday of the month. But it just happens that to finish, we're going to be celebrating the gospel in the way that Jesus instructed his disciples to do that. As As we take bread and juice, we'll remember Christ's body broken for us. And we remember His blood shed for us. His blood shed for us that we would be forgiven, that our sin and guilt and shame would be covered, would be forgiven, would be removed, would be washed clean by His blood that was shed. That our broken bodies, our deadness, would be made alive as Christ's body was broken and then restored that in that same power, we too have new life in Him. So let's come together. What we'll do is I'll bring this um, to the front here. We'll come and take bread and juice. We'll eat the bread in our own time and then we'll uh, drink the juice together. But perhaps as we Come to God's table. First reflect, where in our lives do we need to see transformation? There are parts of our lives that we've been holding back or clinging on to that we're not ready to let go, and that's the work that we need the Spirit to do in us, to hand it over to God. Let's eat and drink, remembering the gospel, remembering what Jesus has done for us. For those on the live stream, go and grab some bread and some juice and we'll drink together as well. So leave some space, come up when you're ready, and then we'll drink together. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, You can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.